verse 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for the reading of his word this morning. Uh, as you know, if you have been with us the last few weeks, we have begun a new series at GBC focusing on three B's, believing, belonging, and behaving. And just to remind you that all of these are interconnected. Though the first three messages, we are focusing on each individual component, they are dependent on one another. In other words, we are saved, we are given the gift of belief in order that we might belong. And in belonging, we can exercise the behaviors that bring glory to God through Christ. So these are our themes. Um, by the way, just now, if some of you got confused about the two different colors of uh, offering bags, as I initially was confused for the first 11 months of my time here. Um, every second Sunday, our focus is on missions, which is why the mission video. Uh, Singaporeans are famous travelers, right? The second most, last year, the first most powerful passport in the world. We are suggesting as you go, uh, bring some food for the spiritual famine that is rampant in this part of the world. 85% of the pastors do not have access to the theological books that pastors in Singapore have. So that was why that was, if you didn't get a chance to give to missions, you can still go online by looking at the back of your ministry guide. Is it the back, Eugene? I think it is. 
you can go online and give that way as well. Let me just pray for us as we get into God's Word this morning. Father God, thank you for this, your gathered church. You have brought us from among the nations. You have made us one people. There is a gift that you have given us in faith and a gift that you give to your glory in our gathering. Father, I invite you now to, to calm our hearts, our anxieties, clear our minds so that we might hear a word from you. Do this for your namesake, we pray. Amen. Now, um, I know that we're a multi-generational church at GBC, so not all of us have had the same experience. Uh, I have the sense in Singapore that if you're a young person, you get married, your expectation is you are not going to rent. Am I right about that? You're going to get yourself in the lottery. You're going to somehow get yourself to the place where, where you can begin to pay the bank for owning a house. But there's many of us, a bit older, that when we first got married, owning our own house was just beyond our imagination. We, we just expected we would have to rent. And uh, Sherry and I remember when we first got married, both of us were still in uni. And we rented a uh, top floor of a house for the astronomical amount of $100 a month. And $100 a month was a lot of money for us. We were both uni students. We, we were both doing part-time jobs, but it was a lot of money. And, and so we could really only afford to heat the kitchen and our bedroom. Everything else, we just closed the door and we didn't turn on the heat in that part. It, it was just difficult for us to get by day by day on what we were earning and also paying uni, university tuition. So um, that meant Saturdays were amazing because Sherry worked for Jim Dandy's Pizza as a server. She was paid $1.50 an hour, which was not even minimum wage back then. They were expected to make it up in, you know, tips in a university town. But every Friday was buffet day at Jim Dandy's Pizza. And, you know, in America, they're not allowed to resell food after it doesn't get sold, so it just gets dumped. So instead of letting it get dumped in the rubbish, Sherry would gather up all the leftover from the buffet, and that meant on Saturday I would have pizza for breakfast, pizza for lunch, pizza for dinner, and pizza for supper. And then the following breakfast, I put the pizza in a toaster. Because, you know, if you warm up hard bread, it's crispy, not hard. And I loved it. You know, as we begin this walk in the Scripture, the theme being called to belong, it's important for us to begin by remembering. Because when you remember, you suddenly realize that all these times God has intervened in your life. Now, it may not have been with pizza, but as you look back on your life and realize how far God has taken you to this place now, you suddenly realize how active this glorious God has been in your life. All the gentle, merciful interventions that this sovereign God was working in your life, even in the difficult time. Memory is a wonderful gift that God gives us. It gives us a reminder of His history of intervention. 
And so Scripture begins this way. It's important for us to remember. Verse 9 says, it's not our work. It is His work. By grace we have been saved. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, do you notice that we are His workmanship, not prepared simply to believe something, but to do something? It's great that you believe. It's great that you have this faith. But remember last week, the demons also believe and they tremble. This word... Uh, workmanship is, is fascinating to me. The, the original word is poema, which is the word from which we get our English word poem. In other words, we, you, all of us, are God's love poem. The New Living Translation translates it this way. We are God's masterpiece. It, that's why it's important for us to know Scripture. Because if we don't know Scripture, we simply confirm and conform to the names that men call us. We look in the mirror and we say, oh, I'm so fat. Unless you're a guy, and then we say, oh, not bad. You know, our, our mirrors are constantly lying to us. We, we constantly feel like we have to conform, and we eventually become the names that men call us. We eventually become according to our performance. That's why I always felt like I was stupid, because I didn't fit into the educational system. I couldn't sit still, kind of like I can't stand right in front of this pulpit. It's, it's hard for me to just remain in one place and just stay focused. And I eventually confirmed and stopped trying. I was just hopeless, like my Dear Father often called me. It's important for us to remember what God says. You are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things He has planned for us long ago. Notice that He created us anew. Not so that we could believe good things but so that we could do good things. So let's begin here in verses 11 and 12. Remember, the verse 11 begins with this. Remember, sin leads to isolation. Now, I have no idea what it's like to raise girls. Sherry and I raised three boys. But there's one principle that we learned while raising three boys, and that is if the house is silent... Something's wrong. Because that means the beatdown has already taken place and they've retreated to their own corners and they're brooding and plotting their next campaign. If you have teenagers, a silent, isolated teenager is not a good thing. Men, if you are isolated, if you have self-isolated, that is not a good thing. Sin leads to isolation. It's not just my idea. It's clearly here in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 11, there is this amazing story. 
Just like their ancestors, Adam and Eve, humanity had grown up with this profane pride. They decided, let us, in this scripture in verse 4, build a city and a tower, its top in the heavens. Have you noticed how many western cities are named after somebody? Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. It was sin that led to separation. It was sin, this sin of profane pride, that led God to judge humanity and scatter us. And as soon as we were scattered, all the little groups that scattered decided to make their own towers, declare borders, form armies, build walls. Because sin isolates. Sin creates division. And as the nations scattered, they self-divided, self-isolated. I know this is Singapore. How many of you have traveled overseas? Okay, if, you haven't, if you've traveled overseas, please take a seat. Okay, everybody has. Do you know what it's like to be a stranger? Have you felt that feeling when you speak that language and people notice an accent? Have you noticed being in Europe and people look at you? Missionaries know what it's like to be a stranger. I know, trust me, every single name people who look like you call people who look like me in multiple languages. My sister Siok Yin knows what it's like to be a stranger because when she was just 17, she left Malaysia and returned to Vancouver with our family. My sister knows what it's like to be a stranger. She knows every single name that men who look like me call people who look like you. We all do it because sin isolates. Sin separates us, and that's why the Apostle Paul uses some of his most graphic language to remind the devastation, to remind us the devastation of sinful isolation and separation. He says, therefore, remember what it was like to be a stranger, you Gentiles. This this word literally is su ethne, meaning you ethnics, you different people. You were different in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Now, th this is an awkward English word. Why? Because the translators actually made up an English word. They, they made up an adjective when in the Greek it's not an adjective, it's a noun. They said, let's just describe it because we're preparing this interpretation for, for, you know, fragile religious ears. We don't want to offend anybody. This is a slanderous, race-baiting noun that Jews called everyone who looked like us. It, it, it's not a description. It's a discarded piece of skin. That's what they call us. Remember that at one time 
you who are not Jews were called this horrific racist term by what is called those who are the people of God. Why? Because it separates us. That's what strangers were called. And remember, at that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers, not just to each other, not just to this people, but you were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Remember that. It's important that we remember what it was like to be strangers because it impacts how we treat strangers. Remember that while sin isolates, grace, God's grace, leads to community. Why, why did the Jewish people feel it was appropriate to call all others by these horrific nouns. Why, why is it? Because they knew that blood was required for an unholy people to draw near to a holy God. And in their pride, they believed they had paid the price for that relationship by the shedding of their blood. Their father, Abraham, was called to give this sacrifice of blood to establish a symbol of the covenant between a holy God and this profane man. He gave the sacrifice of blood. He was circumcised, and his children were circumcised, and his grandchildren were circumcised. They felt pride that they had given this sacrifice of blood in order to draw near to this holy God. Not only did their father Abraham do that, but they remembered their prophet Moses said, take the blood of the lamb, a perfect lamb without spot, paint it on your doorpost of your home, then the angel of death will come and slaughter all the pieces of skin. But he will pass over you. Did God provide the lamb? No, I provided the lamb. I paid for this sacrifice of blood. It created in them a profane pride. And that's why the old covenant is not powerful enough to save us. It's only powerful enough to show us how guilty we all are. They were guilty in their own pride. They were profane in their own pride, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, not by a lamb from your flock, not by your own blood, but by the blood of Christ. Remember that. That is what draws us into community, not because we have somehow performed more admirably than any of your neighbors. It's because in Christ Jesus, we who were far off were brought near. You know, 
one of the significant themes. I'm not, I'm not sure if you heard Pastor Eugene sharing this. God, our God, is a God who gathers. This is a significant theme in all of Scripture. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 39, establishes an important feast in the life of the people of Israel. It, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th day of the seventh month when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate a feast of the Lord for seven days. The theme of gathering in the produce of the Lamb, this is a huge theme all the way throughout Scripture. Even in evangelism, it talks about gathering in the nations. We're going to see this in a, in a bit later. There's the gathering of sheep. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God grieves over shepherds who have ignored His sheep. And He says in verse 6, They wandered all over the mountains, and on every high hill My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek them. That's why when we talk about evangelism, we talk about gathering. That's why when we think about shepherds, we don't just think about care, we think about gathering. That's why we call this the gathering of God's people. It's a biblical theme. It's all throughout Scripture. And that's why Jesus, overlooking Jerusalem, began to weep. And he said, how often I long to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks. For he saw the people like a sheep without a shepherd. And it grieved him. And scripture also talks about in Isaiah chapter 66 verse 18, as I've already shared, a gathering of nations. For I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming to gather all nations in tongues. And they will come and they shall see my glory. You know why we gather every week? It's not so that your neighbors can see the skill and platform presence of the pastor. It's not so that they can sing happy songs and say, wow, those are good musicians. They gather to sense the glory of God at work in us. They gather, we gather, so we can amaze, be amazed that we have come from all different parts of culture, socioeconomic class, even ethnicities, and yet God, through the blood of Christ, has gathered us and made us one. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the land of the law of commandments. That's the old covenant expressed in ordinances that I do, that is my performance, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two and so making peace and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, Chinese and Indian, Angmoa and everybody else, and make us one people. He has done this, and he came and he preached peace both to you who were far off, peace to those who were new, for near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the same Father. 
Do you know that according to the Council of Foreign Relations, there are 28 active conflicts in our world right now? In 28 regions of our world on this day, men, women, and children will die. 28 active conflicts. In spite of the fact that we have peacekeepers going everywhere in the world, in spite of the fact that we have constant negotiations, we cannot see peace. Some of these conflicts are over 1,500 years old. Governments negotiate, but there still is no peace. Why? Because even after the hostilities cease, even after the killing and pillaging and raping is over, the conditions for conflict remain. They're still there. We still isolate ourselves because we're a sinful people, because we don't understand. It's not about talking peace. It's not about making peace accords because peace is not a condition. Peace is not an agreement. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. He himself is our peace. He's broken down the walls that divide us. He has killed, Scripture says, actually the word is he has slaughtered hostility. He uses the most graphic language available in a Greek lexicon. He slaughtered hostility on that cross. He made strangers family. He is our peace. Finally and quickly, remember why, verses 19 through 22, so you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. Let's be clear about this. Our God is a God who gathers. He makes fellow citizens out of aliens and strangers. He makes us to be adopted into the family of God. But remember... Gathering is costly. Gathering is a bloody business. The world doesn't love peacekeepers. The world kills them. It doesn't matter if your name is Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. or Jesus of Nazareth. The world is hostile to those who would bring peace. It's a bloody business. And in the Old Testament, the Lord has written a poema, a Hebrew poem about the costly business of this hostile, slaughtering affection that gathers. The poem is called Hosea. In the book of Hosea, the prophet named Hosea is not invited by God to tell an illustration. He is invited by God to be the illustration. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, after getting Hosea to marry a woman whose name means completely fruited out, 
evil, betrayal, completely fruited out. Marry this woman, a woman who I promise you will not be faithful. Let me help you feel the grief of a God who loves the people that constantly runs after other gods. Let me demonstrate this grief through you. And then in chapter 3 of verse 1, after she's gone away many times and born children that didn't belong to Hosea, she's living in a brothel. And in, in chapter 3, God says, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits this ongoing, continually commits adultery with other lovers, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods to love and worship them. Go, be an illustration of my tenacious, costly love for my people. And so Hosea goes to the brothel and he purchases his wife back from her pimp, 15 shekels of silver. He couldn't even afford the price, so he had to bring along a bushel of grain, 15 shekels of silver and a bushel of grain. And then he says, now I've bought you back. You live in my house. What kind of love is that? So tenacious that he would pay prostitutes wages to spend time with his prostitute wife. What kind of love is it that God would send his own son to pay, pay the blood price to win me back, to win you back? That same God, just like Hosea, that letter is written in the ink of Christ's blood and he gathers us together and says, now I've paid for you. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. I gather you now into my house. You will be built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God by His Spirit. Some of us are just bricks because you haven't belonged. You say, well, I, I, you know, I believe in Jesus, but... I, I just don't know about a church that I can trust. I've been hurt. I've been damaged. There's, you know, lots of stuff in my history, you know. So it's just safer for me to be a brick. Yes, it is. But God desires more for you. He's not asking you to trust a church. He's asking you to trust Him. He is building us together. Now, why? Why would He do that? I sometimes, unfortunately, read books. And I notice there's a lot of debate right now about the purpose of a church. You know, why, why are we here? And you, you, you know the, all the answers. Of God has brought us near. He's, he's been our peace, you know, so that we can evangelize, so that we can fellowship, so we can study God's Word, 
So, you know, all of these things, but there is so much more than that. He has brought us together. He's purchased us with a price. He has been our peace, not just so that we can do all these things that we could do with or without Him. He has brought us together so that we could be a house for His glory. Do you understand the crucifixion? Do you understand that the temple in Jerusalem was a residential palace for the king of creation? And on on that evening, that afternoon when Jesus gave up his life, when he paid the blood price, prostitutes' wages to redeem people back, when he said, it is finished at that very moment, that huge veil that separated the glory of God from the profane sinful nature of humanity it was torn wide open and the glory of God burst forth GBC it burst forth to inhabit us he desires us GBC to be the residential palace For the Most High, gloriously holy King of creation. That's why no price was too high. That's why He has gathered us. Not because we all come from the same background. Not not because we all think the same. Not because we're all from the same generation or socioeconomic status. It's so that we could be founded on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ as our cornerstone, setting the angles for the building so that we could be built up to be the residential palace for the glory of the King of creation. So as we close our time, are we prepared to be the kind of people that set aside our own personal agendas, who realize we gather not because of what we hope we will get, but realize that He has brought us, purchased us, gathered us so that we might shine forth His glory. We're to grow in holiness so that we, we GBC, can be a suitable residential palace for this glorious king who speaks all things into his existence. And and no matter what your life coach says, no matter how your culture informs us, we are not to remain babel. We are not here to make a name for ourselves, to raise the profile of Grace Baptist Church. We're here simply to shout out, to emanate, to illuminate so that His glory, so that the name of this God would be known in Singapore, would be famous among the nations. So I want to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. Well, some of 
us likely, not me, but some of you may not need to do anything. Maybe you're already in a perfect state of glorious union with Christ and with each other. But, but you understand, it, it is really not what we confess with our mouth that proves we are believers. It is the behaviors that demonstrate this old man has been transformed. Maybe you're here today and you realize, wow, I, I need to stop bowing down to my own towers. I need to turn away from the idols of my own creation and turn again, turn afresh to the God who gathers. If you've done that once, but have not done it today, you haven't done it enough. So maybe today, right now, in the quietness of your own heart, you need to cry out to this God who gathers, who bought you with a price, and say, God, find this child turning again. Turning from my own resume, turning from my own performance, turning to you. Be glorious in my life. Maybe there's some of you here this morning and, and you just need to stop being a spiritual nomad. I mean, if it's not going to be GBC, then please find a home where you can lay your heart down, where, where God can gather you with other believers who are walking in a similar direction where, where you can join your hearts together. Belong somewhere. God has paid the, Christ, the price. He has written this poema in His Son's own blood so that you might not just believe, but so that you would belong. Maybe there's some of you who just realize, I, I've, I've just got to get serious and stop going with inertia. I, I need to take a step that demonstrates obedience, to demonstrate that I have turned. Some of you just need to follow the Lord in baptism. I, I hope you will look on the back of that ministry guide at some point and you see all the pastor's phone numbers. And I pray that as a result of this prayer that you are responding to God right now. You are responding to his words that you would just WhatsApp Pastor Eugene or, or WhatsApp me and say, I, I need to belong or, or I need to obey. I, I need to be baptized. And there's some of you here who need to keep traveling but need to start packing hope with you when you go. There's some pastor who has never held a book of theology with the gospel in it, in his own heart language, and you are going to the places where they live. You might want to consider, when I travel, can I start packing hope? Some of us here 
need to stop studying so we can get results and start studying so God can receive glory. Some of us need to stop going to work in order to service a mortgage and start going to work in order to serve God's glory. How do you need to respond to this God who modeled such tenacious, persistent affection? How do you need to respond to the God who gathers? I pray that in this moment of meditation, you would cry out to him. And then let us know how we can help walk with you to celebrate that though you were once a stranger, alienated, far from God and his covenants, without hope and without a God in the world, you have met the God who gathers. Father God, I thank you that you still speak today. You are still the God who pursues a sinful, rebellious, prideful people. A people who would build our own towers, think our own thoughts, wander far from you and from each other, call each other names, and yet you are the God who runs after us with that tenacious, steadfast, faithful, sacrificial, redeeming affection. Find in us, O oh God, a people who turn afresh to you today. May we be a people who hears your word and responds to it. Not because we're hoping for some better religious performance, but simply because we want to run into your embrace and be a people who not only believe, but a people who by the grace of this loving God, a people who belong. Work in us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us as we close our time together? Let's respond with this song as God's people was empowered by the Spirit, empowered by His Word, empowered by His grace, as the church, as a people.
Christ in sorrow now, where evil lies in wait. When trials and persecutions come, this light will never fade. standing for prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are the God who gathers. We thank you that you are a God who has loved us with such amazing love, with such tenacious love, love that will never let us go. Father, because of your love, we belong to you, we belong to one another. So even as we scatter into the world this week, we scatter with the confidence that you are with us, that we are your people and you are our God. So Father, help us to go and to be witnesses for you, to declare your glory, to display your glory, not, not just with our words, but also with our lives, that we would uh, exalt Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. As we go, we go with these words of encouragement from Scripture, uh, please remain standing as you hear these words of encouragement. May God grant us to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that, our, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated for some time of silent reflection, and then do join us for refreshments downstairs after the service. <laughs> 